Greg Warren and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Ladies and gentlemen, to episode 18 of Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Gregoire, and the man not speaking at all is... Dan Beeston! He's playing a game here. He doesn't want... (laughs) And I'm winning. Oh no! Damn it! (laughs) And now, listen to this voice. Uh, You know, when when you sort of do a statistical analysis of all the stars and the planets and dust and so on... The average density of our universe is 0.2 hydrogen atoms per cubic metre. <laughs> 0.2 hydrogen yeah, atoms. <laughs> but what does it mean? But what does it mean? What, what, what was that voice saying? What was Steve Nerlich from CheapAstro.com trying to tell us, Dan? Because we have been told by quite a few people, we've got the ignorance down. Yep. We're doing... No, a- we're all over that. <laughs> we... We started out strong on the ignorance, and we followed through. Ignorance kings with our ignorance crowns. Uh, uh, uh. And we've got the comedy down. Yeah, no. <laughs> the contracts are coming in. Do you want more science? Well, we went and find a man with a science degree that has a podcast about science to tell us some actual science. His name is Steve Nerlich, as I said before. He is from CheapAstro.com, and he's going to tell us all about... Welcome to the interview part of the podcast. We're here today with Steve Nerlich from CheapAstro.com, the Cheap Astronomy podcast. You might have heard him also on the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Hello, Steve. Hello, Greg and Dan. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. So, Steve, you're a real scientist. Is that right? (laughs) Oh, no, I wouldn't have said that. I I have a science degree. That counts. That's, 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 oh, my goodness. Uh, my, My day job is in education. That's not necessarily oh, always right. science education, but sometimes science education. And the only way to be. Now, we've been accused here at Smart Enough to Know Better that though our tagline is science, comedy, and ignorance, we've been showing a lot of the ignorance and a little bit of the comedy, but not much actual science recently. So we decided we're going to fix this. We're going to get Steve Nerlich from CheapAstro.com, and we're going to actually talk about science, real hard science. Well, at the very least, cutting-edge science, bleeding-edge astronomy. So that's your job, Steve, to keep us on the straight and narrow. Sure, okay. <laughs> now, you, you were going to talk about a dark matter, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've got a... Well, if I can take us back to our recent Nobel Prize winner in Australia was <sighs> Professor Brian Schmidt from the ANU, which exciting. is in, in Canberra, where I live. What's an ANU? Should I know that? Australian National University. Yeah, no, I knew that. Oh. I went there. What the... <laughs> I didn't go there. Yes, you clean the floors. What? Can't, anyway, yes. In fact, we have an Australian prize, a Nobel Prize winner. It's very exciting. We should all be very Australian and go, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. No. Oi, oi, oi. Oh, thank you, Steve. Oh, the, yes, there's a professional, Dan. I missed That's my cue again. That's what happens. Dan just stands there. He's such a hater. It's, what a... Dan missed his cue. Yeah. As, as he does. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so our Australian prize, Nobel Prize winner has found out something quite interesting, it seems. Well, what he was credited with by the Nobel Prize Committee was for discovering that the universe is not only expanding, but expanding in an accelerating fashion. To me, somewhat regressively, the media tends to report that as he found dark energy, mm, which mm. I, 
I think it's an intellectual leap we perhaps shouldn't be taking. But yeah, now, can we, can we start from the very beginning? Because my understanding of dark energy Uh-oh. is that it's like normal matter, but black, and so we can't <laughs> see it. Now, I can't help but feel that maybe I'm missing something crucial there. All right. <laughs> see, see, Dan brings the ignorance side of things to the, uh, to the, to the podcast, and I just stand there shaking my head at him quite often. So it's a, it's a beautiful relationship. Sure. Why don't I take you back to the beginning, uh, oh. as with most things, is uh, Einstein. Hey! Sorry. I thought, I thought... So Einstein came out with general relativity in about 1915, and what fell out of that is what is called the Einstein field equations, mm-hmm. which is a way of mathematically modelling the universe. Right. So you have this complex equation, which I won't pretend I understand well, but... <laughs> But broadly... I mean, we had all sorts of problems with E equals MC squared a few months ago. <laughs> don't, don't bring that up. It nearly destroyed the podcast. Please don't bring <laughs> that up. So go on, Steve. So on, imagine this complex equation. On the left-hand side, you have a bunch of terms describing space-time curvature, essentially the geometry of the universe. On the right-hand side, you have terms that relate to the contents of the universe. So it's mass, it's energy density. Mm-hmm. And the trick with the Einstein field equations is to get this equation to balance. Mm, All good science equations should. That's right. So when Einstein sort of published this, no one really had any data about the universe or the universe's motion. And he sort of looked at the equations and felt confident in the maths. But what it seemed to be saying was that you had all this mass and density in the universe, which generated gravity. Mm Mm-hmm surely that would make the whole universe collapsing because there's nothing to counteract that, that inward pull. Right. So, so there's nothing, like in a star, the, the gravity of the star tries to keep the star, well, tries to collapse the star, but the, the pressure from the gas keeps it upright. So you have this, well, a star, it, it holds itself up with two forces balancing. So really, a dyna- That's right, a dynamic equilibrium, we say. It's, oh, it's very, oh, he knows all the words. It's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, the, so the universe, we're saying, seemed to have one force, gravity, dragging it all in, but there seemed to be no balancing force holding it up. Mm-hmm. And, Einstein, and Einstein, and back, and not, not, not just Einstein, everyone thought then that the universe was constant and unchanging. It, it, it always had been the way it was. Yeah, very true. It was static. It didn't move. Mm-hmm. But even to get to that solution, he had to come up with something to counteract gravity just to keep it still and static. Mm-hmm. Rather than so, like a cup of tea and constantly undulating and yeah. having brownie in motion and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> something like that, yeah. A, a, a cup of tea that was, that was constant and forever. That's like Dan's most favourite thing in the world, actually. Yeah, <sighs> but it always cools down. I know. Uh, entropy. Yeah, but- Entropy, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid entropy. <laughs> What's it ever done for us? <laughs> Except give us an hour of time. But anyway, moving, moving on. So as is, I think, well recorded in history, Einstein had this term on the left-hand side of the equation, the, the left-hand side that's all about the geometry and the curvature of space-time. There was a term that he called the cosmological constant. Mm. So he gave that a positive value to sort of counteract the right-hand side of the equation that was trying to collapse the universe inwards. And that was his on-paper solution for how you could have a universe full of mass, but nonetheless that stayed open. Mm. So that he just made it up yeah. so that it worked. He, he, he put yeah. X, yes. Yes. basically. And is that, that's called, if I do if I'm correct, the cosmological constant. He just said that. Oh, sorry. I, yep. 
I edited that out of my own head. There you go. <laughs> it's also called lambda, so it's a mathematical lambda. term. But it's lambda. still called the cosmological constant. So there's a wonderful Indeed. little meta joke in there. Right, that's that's very good. It'll always be the cosmological constant. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. That's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a good one. That, that, that's actually funny. Yeah. <laughs> Don't encourage him, Steve. Don't encourage him. <laughs> Did you hear a tone? I had a tone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we had this cosmological constant, yeah. and 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 so, so people like Hubble, uh, they noticed uh-huh. that the. So have I jumped ahead there, or, or? no? What? That's exactly where I was going. So, well done. <laughs> so, there, within... was, there, there was definitely a tone then. <laughs> so, so within ten years of Einstein coming out with his 1915 Einstein field equations, you then had Edward and Hubble with the Hooker telescope and the biggest telescope in the world in California. Mm-hmm. He did a survey of distant nebulae, and that's all they were called then. No one realised there were other galaxies additional to the Milky Way. They were just these little clouds of, little clouds really, called nebulae. So there we were, 1925, you had Hubble using the biggest telescope in the world, and he had an interest in these things called Cepheid variables, variable stars, Mm. that... Everyone now realizes as standard candles. If you know, certain stars will go supernovae in in a very set way and release a set amount of light. So you, in every oh, time, you're, ju- you're jumping ahead there. Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> hang on, pull back, pull back, Greg. So Hubble didn't have uh, the technology that would in- enable him to, as we did later in the 20th century, to start surveying Type One A supernovas. But mm. he, he could see these closest stars that we call Cepheid variables, so they don't explode, but they mm. sort of vary in a very predictable manner. So mm. you know if you see one, it's going to be of a particular brightness during its periodicity change. Sure. So just based on this standard brightness, you can tell how far away it is. Mm-hmm. And what Hubble added to that was uh, what was in bleeding-edge science mm. about redshift. So that's another astronomical term people might be familiar with. The further away something is, the faster away it moves from us, and hence it has this Doppler effect on its spectrum. Mm. And so, that's because that's the spectrum sort of stretches out? Like or red light travels faster than blue light no, because of the wavelength? Or? No, it's got to, it's, if, if, if Steve might be able to correct me on this, but it's more to the point that the, the universe is actually expanding. So the, the, the space itself between two points is actually expanding, oh. and therefore the, the wavelength of light has to be shifted as it travels, as it travels through space. Is that a good way of describing yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that, that, oh, that okay. is a very good way. Mm. Yep. So, it's, so basically, the, something, the further something is away from you, the longer it took the light to get here, not because the distance, it's slowing down or speeding up, but the, the, literally the distance between you and a long distance away is actually getting further away as time goes on. So it's not, not travelling in space... It's, yeah, it's, it's um, not necessarily getting further away, but yeah. Space is expanding. Getting bigger. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Mm. All right. And if that doesn't blow your noodle, nothing will. <laughs> if Hubble was around, he would have talked about the Doppler effect. It, you mm. know, it was like a, an ambulance receding away from you. The, the, mm. the sound waves get longer and longer. But, but you're quite right these days. Because we understand that, that space-time is expanding, we tend to express it in, in the way you've described it, that the, 
the wavelength has literally stretched out by the, the expansion of the universe. That's a, that's always amazes me. It's awesome. Yeah, it really is. It's great, isn't it? It's just a madness when you think. About and then we figured it out <laughs> and used yeah, it right. for our own machinations of measurement. Well, two million years ago, we were climbing trees and running away from predators in the African savanna, and now we're working out the universe actually is expanding. That's just just by looking at the color. That's right. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yep, we're an impressive monkey. There you go. Greg's colorblind, so not quite so <laughs> impressive a monkey. It's true. I, I am a failed science monkey. Oh. <laughs> so there we were in 1925. Hubble had, A, shown that the universe wasn't just the Milky Way. It was this whole much bigger place. And then he had also demonstrated that all those distant galaxies were moving in a way that, you know, a close galaxy was moving at a certain velocity, a more distant galaxy was moving away even faster mm. so there was this progressive increase in their receding velocity the further away distant galaxies were right. so from that he could conclude that the universe was expanding mm. so um, things that were close to you were going moving well on average were moving away from you but things which are further away from you were also moving away but much faster so move it, so, we, so we, okay so we've got we've got an expanding universe gravitationally bound well, if you're gravitationally bound it's going to collapse in on itself Einstein's yep. cosmological constant said, yep. well, actually, it's not. Obviously, the universe is not collapsing because it hasn't. So we're, we're in a position now of trying to work out why not. Kind of thing. Hubble came out with his finding. Einstein sort of slapped his forehead and thought, dull, I should have realised. <laughs> of course, the, the mass was always saying that the universe was either going to expand or contract, and mm. it wasn't static. Mm. So from then on, everyone sort of agreed they would set that cosmological constant back to zero. Ah, okay. But it still so, meant, didn't that still meant the universe, they thought the universe would therefore be, have to be contracting? Well, no, because it's like lambda, the cosmological constant, is a force that counteracts gravity, whereas the rest of that left-hand side of the equation that's all about space-time is talking about the tendency of space and time to change. Mm -hmm. So what everyone thought in the, the latter half of the 20th century was that the expansion of the universe was contained in that maths oh, I see. about the shape of space-time and, and the yeah. cosmological constant everyone thought was just a bit of an error and they, they set it to zero, so it, they kept it out of the, the picture. Oops. So, and, and if I remember correctly, Einstein declared it as his greatest mistake. Biggest blunder. Biggest blunder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Poor guy. Can you imagine? His greatest mistake involved uh, two pints of beer and uh, <laughs> a woman who turned out to have a very exciting secret. We're going to talk about that one. He, he didn't write that well, down. It's, much. Actually, well, it's, it's one of the, well, jumping a bit back here, when you look into these sort of people and you have this idea of Einstein and uh, Planck and all these people being sort of older men, but when you look at them, a lot of them were like younger men in the 20s and the 30s sitting in coffee shops having conversations. There was very much a, a sexy element back then. We, I, I always like to remember them as sexy young men having sexy conversations. So. I bet they would have podcasted. <laughs> they had better things to do. Yes. <laughs> he he had, had quite a number of affairs and so forth. Einstein, anyway. Oh, that's, so, that's, wow. If, now, if, now we're going into the juicy de uh, the if, uh, dirt. Mm. If anyone's listened to a recent episode of Astronomy Cast, uh, Pamela Gay goes to some length about his, his various partners and wives and so forth. Yeah, that's, it's, that's it's, his uh, second actually, through eighth worst blunders. <laughs> <laughs> it's never clear that he said publicly that it was his biggest blunder. Oh. Uh, 
a colleague of his was quoted saying, oh, Einstein said to me that was his biggest blunder. And the, the media just went crazy. Said, oh, Einstein <laughs> says that this was his biggest blunder. I, I doubt he would ever have wanted everyone to know, oh, oh this is my biggest blunder. Yes. I mean, he owned the formula, which is something we continue to use today. I mean, it's a brilliant piece of physics. Mm. And I, I don't think he sort of deserves the bad press he got over that just because when the first bit of data came in, it showed that he should have put a different value on a particular term in the formula, but the, the formula's fine. Yeah, I mean, right. It's, it's a, a, another piece of genius from Einstein, really. So there we were in the late 20th century. Everyone had decided the cosmic logical constant had been a mistake to give it a, a definite value. So there was a general agreement to set it to zero, to assume that all the expansion of the universe was a sort of long-term effect of the initial momentum of the Big Bang, none mm -hmm. of which we think is exactly right today, but that, that was the thinking then. Mm -hmm. And you had all this dialogue about, well, what we need to do is to determine how much mass and how dense that mass is in the universe. Then we'll know if it's going to expand forever or whether it's going to get so far and then collapse back into a big crunch and, and so on. So what you're trying to do, stuff. someone has to therefore go outside and go, okay, I'm going to count all the stars and I'm going to count all the planets and I'm going to count, in the universe, yeah. I'm going to count all the dust clouds. I'm going to count everything out there and we're going to tally up the mass and if the mass, compared to the size of the universe, divide the mass divided by the uh, volume, that gives you a density and therefore if it's beyond a certain number, crunch, we will go back or if it's a less than a certain number, it expands forever. That's what they were going for. Which is that's a, exactly right. That's a crazy idea when you think about it. Imagine coming up with that. You're sitting around going, I'm going to count everything in the universe. And I'm sure a lot of scientists went, good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> shit, come back when you're finished. It's a, a little bit of stuff. It's not like counting everything in this room. There's, there's, the universe I, is I a would, big place. I, I balk at that. <laughs> you can't see this room, it's, but it is a mess. It's full of rubbish. It is terrible. It's true. Well, funnily enough, they did do that. They did. <laughs> and, they, and they got an answer. That's, a, that's a, a, amazing. How, just, uh, it just amazes me. So, and, and this is all that, if you remember, we had the Einstein field equation. On the left-hand side, you've got the shape of the universe. On the right-hand side, you've got what's in it that mm. determines that shape. So the late 20th century astrophysics was all about trying to determine that number that, that you were just talking about. And it works out that, uh, you know, when, when you sort of do a statistical analysis of all the stars and the planets and dust and so on... Mm. The average density of our universe is 0 0.2 hydrogen atoms per cubic metre. <laughs> 0 0.2 hydrogen yeah, atoms. <laughs> a fifth of a hydrogen atom for every cubic metre. So that means there's one hydrogen atom every five cubic metres yep. across the universe, if you spread everything out. Yep. <laughs> so, so, I, so it's just like the Occupy Wall Street. We're sitting here in a glut of atoms. We're hoarding all... Uh, we're, we are the 1% of... 1% of the Holding gravity wells hold 99.99999% of the atoms. It's, it's, we're, we're just hoarding on. The rest of the universe is crying out for them. We, we're not, not going to share them. No, you're, not, you're not getting them, universe. We've got them, and we're not giving them back. There you go. I'm made up of a lot of them. I need these things to breathe. So... Other atoms. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've, we've turned this into a political thing. Uh-oh, that's, that's not good. Science and politics should never mix. And, you know, that, that links back to what we were talking about before with, you know, the universe is really these huge voids of empty space and here and there there's these clumps of matter in a very dense but very small clumps. Mm -hmm. 
And the maths of the Einstein field equation required that you needed a density of five atoms, five hydrogen atoms per square metre, to prevent the universe from expanding forever. So the point two seemed to suggest, well, we we live in a universe, it's just there's not enough mass in it to hold back the expansion. It's going to expand forever. Right. So in the end, sometime in the trillions and trillions of years in the future, you'll just have one little lonely hydrogen atom sitting in a, an amazingly massive volume of space with no, you won't even be able to see another hydrogen atom. They'll be all so attenuated. It'll just be the whole universe. According to that one hydrogen atom, the whole universe would just be one hydrogen atom. Now you're jumping your head again. Oh, stop it, Greg. <laughs> Naughty. Bad. <laughs> The important thing to take from that is you've got the reality of point two, but what you would need to keep the universe flat, Mm. which is what we say, would be five. So point two is actually 4% of five. Mm. So when you hear people talk about, well, we know what 4% of the universe is and the rest of it's a complete mystery, Mm. that's that's where they're coming from. Ah, Maths. There just doesn't seem to be enough matter matter that we understand in the universe to give it the geometry that it has. And that's the end of part one. If you can hang on, part two will be on cheap astronomy next week. But otherwise you could go to Greg and Dan's website, smartenough.org, or just Google the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast. I'm Dan at smartenough.org. And I'm Greg at smartenough.org. I hope you have enjoyed the podcast. Episode 18, ladies and gentlemen. Science, comedy and ignorance. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 18 of Smart Enough to... Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 18 of Smart Enough to Know Better. You know which intro I'm going to use, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a little bit grainy, a bit low quality. (laughs) That might just be me. It might just be you. (laughs) 